Hello and welcome to episode number 220 of the Armin Show podcast, available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. On this episode, as you know, we have authors, we have professors, we have researchers. We have the author of An Economist Walked Into a Brothel, Economist, Professor, and also Business Person, Allison Schrager. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. This is wonderful. Now, uh, I have checked your background. I have taken detailed notes of the book, as I tend to do, which is wonderful. What? Oh, thanks. I- you know it. Uh, <laughs> what is... I always like to go into background first. So you went to University of Edinburgh, and then... I did a PhD at Columbia after that. Mm-hmm. How was your time at Edinburgh, and how long did you stay there? Uh, I was there for three years. I did my undergrad there. Um, it was it was a great experience. You know, Scotland's beautiful. It's a great education. I loved the econ department there. I think it really was influenced me a lot to go on to grad school. I had a previous guest, Charles Cockle, there from from there. Do you know of him? He's a professor no. at University of Edinburgh. No. Okay. He's an astrobiology program, I think. Oh, yeah. I only really know people in the econ department, and that was still a while ago, so I'm not even sure who I know there now. That makes sense. And then after that, you went to Columbia uh, can you let us know a bit about your PhD experience there? Uh, yeah, um, I studied the economics of retirement, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is largely the foundation for the book. Um, I studied the differences between uh, the move from traditional defined benefit pensions to like 401k type pensions. And I mean, I wouldn't say it was as joyful as Edinburgh because PhDs tend to be a lot harder. But, you know, also, I guess, satisfying. I mean, you work hard, you learn a lot of math. I, I wrote a bit in the book about my decision not to pursue academia afterward uh, just because I think I, I went so young. I didn't really, I think, even know, you know, I think I just sort of went thinking, you know, education's good. I love economics. I want to keep studying it. But never really thought through what I was going to do with a PhD until I actually graduated. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I read about that. Yes, the experience there, you went in and then once you're doing interviews, it didn't feel right. In life, you always have to go with your gut feeling or else you get in the wrong category. And then it ends up being decades of doing yeah. that. Yeah, totally. This is something right there. Now, the first thing that came to my mind when I was reading the book, a lot of it is about risk. Normally, I think about myself um, taking, I take a lot of, I used to take a lot more social risks and uh, try things with people and they weren't re- really efficient. And lately, I've, in past years, I've switched to things that are more efficient because it makes sense in the long term. Uh have you always been more on the practical side as far as decision-making? How have you been in that personality category? Um, well, I guess, you know, I, I'm a bit of a risk-taker. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I am and I'm not. Um, I, I think that was the point of the book is that you can take risks, but you can take them in a smart way. Like I've taken some huge – I have a fairly sensible, you know, economics PhD, you mm-hmm. know, career. And, you know, having that kind of asset has certainly enabled me to take bigger risks without facing the big downsides a lot of people have mm-hmm. would have otherwise because um, you have a very powerful degree that taught you a lot of useful skills. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I have taken some big risks with it. Um, you know, I pursued journalism, which is, you know, by a lot of uh, metrics, an insane risk. Uh, you know, writing a book is a huge risk. It's five, six years of your life. And, you know, payoffs are definitely very uncertain. But um, as I said, like, I've always felt well protected because I've had a useful degree and good skills and a good network. So I, I think it's about, as I said, thinking about the risks that matter to you, matter about are you looking for the payoff they give you? And, you know, are you protected if the worst happens? Mm-hmm. Now, I like the book because you cover both ends of the spectrum with hedging on the upper end and then insurance to protect on the lower end. 
uh, which is ways that it started to make me think of individuals like, let's say, Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank or others, that if you uh, manage the financial aspect of both sides or what you're doing, everything is smooth in your life in a way. You really yeah, or you hope. You, you increase the odds it's smooth. There's no guarantees in life, but right. you definitely increase the odds that, you know, most of the time you can take risks and get more mm-hmm. but and have less downside. Right. Now, as far as uh, one work item that you do, you're a co-founder of Life Cycle Finance Partners, which is a risk advisory firm. What are common issues that come up from clients at that position? Well, most Mostly, I would say both me and my business partner both uh, still have our research backgrounds in retirement. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is working to working on the retirement problem, which is a huge risk transfer uh, that's happened around the world from before governments and 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 firms took on all the risk of their employees, and now individuals have to bear this huge risk themselves. So we haven't really tackled it as a society in most countries as a risk problem. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we come up with the solutions to help people manage the risk on their own. That makes sense. And then they can do that into their retirement and onward. Exactly. This is good. Now, and how long has that been going on with that company? Um, well, I think we we formed the company a couple of years ago, but we've been working together and working in various client situations for, mm-hmm. oh, geez, like I guess like you know more than ten years. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you are a professor at NYU. Now, how has that gone? And are there any students that uh, you have included in what you do in some way? Um, not really. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not really a professor. I just teach a class. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, when I, I said, when I left grad school, I was really anti the idea of going to academia. I really mm-hmm. wanted to do something new. But uh, when I was struggling with figuring out what the book would be, a friend of mine who uh, has a program at NYU suggested I teach a class based on book ideas to um, help me further along the process. And it turned out to be a lot of fun. So I don't talk about individual students I incorporated, but certainly uh, there was two classes, students who were great guinea pigs, who helped me a lot, formulate the book, who read chapters, and definitely helped with the process a lot. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Now, into the book, which I like taking good notes on certain books. Uh, it's just a nice feature, and then you get a better understanding of it. The cool part about it was that many of the items you wrote about link to exactly what's happening right now. Like I had just read about the horse breeding, and then... Yesterday was the, or two days ago was the Kentucky Derby, something like that. And then uh, you had something about forever stamps, and then there was a forever stamp on my table. Basically, like uh-huh. four or five things you wrote about, like were right there that day. Uh, oh, great. What, what caused you to book, uh, write the book at this time versus earlier or later down the line? Well, I would have written it earlier. It's just you know a book is like a creative process, and mm-hmm. you know I, I wish I'd written it ten years before, but I just wasn't ready. You know, for me, it was a culmination of a lot of years of academic and industry study about risk in a very sort of traditional environment, and then my own explorations as a journalist and a storyteller and how to bring them together. And that just took a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish it happened sooner. And, you know, I, it's it, I was writing it now, so I really wanted to bring in a lot of very relevant, interesting stories to have it resonate and ha- so people can understand this is really relevant to their lives. Mm-hmm. I noticed that it was very uh, current. That's a nice feature and makes it more enjoyable for the reader. One thing I had noticed was uh, you were talking about uh, leveraging, and then if someone leverages in taking risks, they're more likely to take more risk. And is this? do we have more protections now than we did maybe 10 years ago with regards to our economy? 
For well, it's it's hard to know. I mean, I think this is the problem with leverage is whenever you take leverage, you're taking more risk, which means more reward, which is why people want to do it. Mm-hmm. But you also have bigger downside risks. And, you know, this was a big concern from the financial crisis because you usually have crises when banks take a lot of leverage, which means they owe people a lot of money. So mm-hmm. if things go wrong, you feel that risk everywhere and ultimately can be borne by taxpayers or individuals on Main Street. So that's why you want to limit leverage. And by and large, Mm -hmm. most people who are in the industry tell me that regulation has meant there's a lot less leverage. You know, bank balance sheets are a lot healthier, but you never know. I mean, there's also this problem of leveraged loans, which is corporations taking on a lot more leverage. And that might be okay, but you just think about leverage is it always poses bigger risks. And you never quite know how it's going to play out. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It like uh, it motivates you to take more risks than you normally would, which can lead to uh, dangerous situations. Yep. Exactly. Um, one thing I did enjoy also was uh, the Cinnabon story because when you are running a company, you have to take uh, risks that people around you are not going to support. And if you listen to them, but you don't listen to your gut instinct about this is likely to work or this is a safer bet in the long term, then you're giving up your uh, long-term vision ability for those who don't have it. And then later you'll regret it and you listen to them. So it's like a double loss kind of. Totally. And I mean, I think what made Kat able, you know, she was this young woman. I mean, she was like 30 running this big company Mm -hmm. and she's had much experience in that industry. But she still had the complete conviction that she was making the right decision and doing something no one else thought was maybe the right thing. Mm-hmm. She did is they she shrunk the Cinnabon, which was before like this large eight hundred calorie dessert and made them made the franchises offer a smaller version. Mm-hmm. That was fewer calories, but also less money, so people were hesitant. But she really was so clear on, you know, what the goal was, which was expanding revenue, expanding the market share. And she realized some people just want a smaller cinnamon roll. Maybe they won't buy the large one, but they'll buy the small one. Mm -hmm. So it was very clear to her, and I think that gave her the conviction to say, no, this is the right thing to do. Yes, that's a nice feature. Having a little understanding of your own can propel ideas that you wouldn't normally take a risk on because... You have some economic understanding. This is a nice feature about economic understanding is it takes a bit of the, I guess, emotions out of scenarios. And now you're looking at things just based on what would really occur. And then money is the, I guess, like the wavelength of that uh, change. So it's nice. Yeah, that's, that's the hope. I mean, the more you know and the more you educate yourself, the easier it is to make those to sort of it's a calculated decisions. Mm-hmm. Now, the book is based on uh, walking into a brothel, and I liked the story there because it makes you think about there's a business going on, and it's just the uh, risks being lowered is where the value comes from. Uh, What caused that going into and checking on a brothel? Um, Well, I was there the year before because I did a story on negotiation skills because Mm -hmm. they have a really extensive negotiation training program and excellent financial literacy program. Mm Uh, so I was there for that, and I had a relationship with Dennis Hoff, and you know I was struck when I was there before how much money they charged. I mean, it's way more than uh, sex workers charge in their local markets when they work illegally. And you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking like I think it's like fourteen hundred dollars an hour compared to three hundred and fifty dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that's a risk premium. So it turned out to be just another example of you know this this fundamental concept in finance, which is you pay to reduce risk. Right. This seems to be the case across many different categories. And then it was connected to surfing. Surfers 
are doing something which doesn't involve any sort of economics at first glance, and then you realize uh, their searches for waves and the big wave and how to protect against the wave is not that different. Is there risk mitigation in every category of society? I think so. And I think, as I said, usually I said there's there's two main ways you reduce risk. It's either hedging or insurance, which is just what the surfers do. Like hedging is taking a little less risk. So for them, that might be, you know, if waves travel in a pack of five, you know, the early ways, if you wipe out, you have these big waves barreling on you. So you might take, you'll definitely always take a wave later in the set. Anyway, it might be smaller. So that's a hedge. It's like you're, you're calibrating your risk, taking a little less risk, but having less downside risk. The other is insurance, which is technology, say, that can help them if they wipe out. So, I mean, it is it. These are just the same things people do in finance or anywhere. So in any risk situation, there's always room to hedge, room to insure. Mm-hmm. When, when you are doing, um, adjustment with hedging or insurance uh, are you more thinking along the lines of smoothing out uh, possibilities or is it more about building a safer base to propel from and take more risk which one do you lean more towards there well i mean it it does both Mm -hmm. and i mean that's the downside certainly with insurance is it you know people feel emboldened to take even bigger risks they feel insured and you know sometimes can expose themselves to even bigger risks that's certainly a problem with surfing Mm-hmm. Um, but anything. So, I mean, it, it does serve two functions. It's meant to smooth stuff out, but it also then sometimes makes people feel secure and take even bigger risks. Mm-hmm. Yes, it can give a base and then suddenly you do something that's a bit risky and then now later on you look back like, I would not have done that if I didn't have that base. Yeah. I like how you described that the Greeks uh, know risk because these things have been around for a long time. The item here, more volatility, more risk. I identify with that because I used to be uh, like socially volatile, I guess, and there's more risk and it's not that efficient. And that would be the response I'd get from people. It was not that efficient. Is it worth being volatile in any context or basically not? Well, it depends what you're trying to um, achieve. Right. I mean, sometimes people speculate Trump's being volatile and mm-hmm. that's a bigger i don't know if this is true bigger genius strategy to sort of throw his adversaries off their game Mm -hmm. i don't know if that works but maybe it does right it could be a little bit uncertain something like that yeah i mean is it like i mean i I was once heard that someone in his administration when she tried to negotiate with um uh, the uh other foreign powers would be like he's crazy i don't know what he's gonna do you better do this right you know so Mm -hmm. i mean maybe it works sometimes right i guess that's a different (laughs) impact that's pretty good. Uh, I like that you put the rules of risk. This was a nice part of the book. I always look at how it's laid out. There was good uh, subheadings, and then the fact that uh, the the rules were spread out so that these five rules of risk had uh, chapters associated with them. I uh, want to go over a few of these. Uh, uncertainty happens. There are things you don't anticipate. So uh, there... You would do the best you can to anticipate, but no matter what, there's going to be something, maybe an earthquake, maybe a, a market crash, and then at that point, um, maybe the, the safeguards that are in place don't really apply, but it's out of our hands at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, people have give it, criticized risk models a lot. Like Risk models are just trying to plan for the future, and you mm-hmm. never know the future. Risk models are effectively taking a guess and then managing around your guess. And people rightly point out all the time that these are incomplete models because things can always happen you don't anticipate. We're just really taking a stab in the dark. 
But, you know, that doesn't mean you don't plan. It helps you think through what's going to happen. It prepares you for things, even things you don't see coming. But you also have to always be prepared for the idea that you haven't thought of everything. And that sometimes if you have a risk model, you have a risk plan, you have to change it up and maybe do something different on the fly. Mm-hmm. The the thing about being a little bit outlandish relates with one part where uh, risk misperception, I never thought I'd get caught, is... Uh, when you do things and you uh, push the bounds a bit and then you go too far and then you had mentioned kind of the error is you get uh, like this one business guy, uh, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, I don't know if you know him, he talks about don't get high on your own supply or don't get too full of your own what's happening mm-hmm. because then you start uh, taking risks based on your earlier risks and now it's a shaky foundation like the crime fa- family you had mentioned uh, in the book that that'll happen sometimes. Yeah, I spoke to a lot of different criminals, and they all say this have the same story of, you know, because they didn't get caught before, they they started taking even bigger and bigger risks, doing bigger and bigger crimes, because they got too comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yes. This comfort, uh, comfortability is probably one of the biz- biggest risks, because then you're ignoring evolution. Things are always adjusting, like uh, you can have an issue each day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I spoke to one guy who, because he got caught by the police, he thought, and he got out of it because they didn't have enough evidence, he thought that would happen all, all the time. But really, the next time he got caught, they then had the evidence because he'd been caught before. Right. Oh, yeah, this is an irrelevant point you also brought up, too, that if things are not correlated, but then putting in that they are correlated, now you have, uh, once again, a messed up baseline thinking, oh, okay, it's like when you flip a coin and you get heads. If a person thinks that it's more likely they'll get heads the next time, then... Uh, they're not based in reality anymore. Yeah. Absolutely. It is not efficient. Uh, I like the fact that uh, it makes me, the Kentucky Derby, I see it differently now based on the description of all the horse breeding uh, from this book because oh, yeah. I know it's you know very competitive, but then now I realized how much there is certain breeding and to get this kind of victory and this gene has to be uh, kept for a certain kind of race mode and Anything that becomes uh, profit-based, which is most of our nation, is going to end up that way in some form. And uh, it's nice to see behind each industry because there's not really any uh, casual big industries anymore, I guess. No. And, I mean, horse racing used to be a lot bigger when it was a popular tax shelter. But once the tax shelter went away from the tax reform, uh, breeders had to reduce their risks. So what they do is they sell horses after the one at their one year old. And the problem is people don't know what kind of racer it's going to be. So it's really skewed the incentives for how people breed and are breeding more with the mind of selling after one year than racing. Mm-hmm. That's, I always find that funny when there's a base behind something that we see publicly that had nothing to do mm-hmm. with the thing. We'll see an investment in a street and we think, oh, okay, that's for the community. But actually it was some sort of uh, maybe tax purposes for somebody in India or who knows. could be some sort of far-off link. Yeah, that can be a far-off base. Now, one thing I always like to check on is um, what are some items you're working on in the upcoming rest of uh, this year? Um, well, I, 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 I haven't really thought. i got to be honest. I did, probably did a bad wrist hedge and haven't thought quite beyond the book. But uh, I said I, I'm working. I'm working on the consulting firm. I'm mm-hmm. doing some writing for courts and um, doing some other writing projects. Oh, this is wonderful! I just like to check because uh, I like to know. Yeah, go oriented, and that's cool. That the book just came out like uh, very recently, uh, a month ago. A month ago. That's very recent. It's wonderful, and um, 
What is a general message about risk management that you would want people to know or to take away? I'd like to feel people make people feel more comfortable taking risk. I mean, we tend to think of it in very binary terms. Either you take a risk or you're not. You're a risk-averse person or you're not. Mm-hmm. But really, I mean, we can all take risks, and we can all feel more comfortable taking risks if we're thoughtful about the risks we're taking and try to hedge and ensure when we do. Right. That makes sense. I would like to thank you for having been on episode 220 of the show. Thanks for having me. You know it, and we are out. <laughs>